0: Welcome to the Debanking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And last time, we spoke about Larry Randall Ray's suggestion that modern monetary theory could be applied to create a Green New Deal. But the issue is MMT only works when you have a sovereign currency. And really, it doesn't work if you're a small country reliant on foreign earnings. So that rules out most of the world, including the Eurozone. This week, we look at how you can tackle a global issue like climate change change when only a handful of countries could take part in the green new deal that's this week on the debunking economics podcast so yeah so we've been talking about the idea from randall ray that we should spend five percent of gdp at least on a green new deal funded by modern monetary theory in other words the government is creating that money additional money which is being pumped into the economy and last time at how we could get the balance right between how that could be money that is spent by the government and and whether we can allow the public sector to be involved in this and we towards the end we were we were talking about well you know perhaps the easiest way of doing that is that the government basically issues grants but chops up the project into uh, into various parts and then the private sector can innovate with money which is uh, which is made available to them from the government which makes perfect sense doesn't it steve
1: well, it does. I mean, there's two sources of innovation, and this is where, like, Mariana Mazzucato recently won the inaugural, not the Nobel, the economics prize. Uh, Mariana's point has been that a huge amount of innovation actually takes place in the government sector and a large part of neoclassical economic theory has been to uh, pull pull the wool over people's eyes on this front and say the government is always a bunch of bureaucrats, never do anything creative. Uh, best to hand it over to the private sector. That's where innovation occurs. We need to take a look at it. One well, of the most obvious elements of modern technology, without which we couldn't imagine the world in which we live, uh, was created by the government sector and that's the internet. Mm. It was it was a project of, uh, I've, I've forgotten the name of the uh, the British scientist who was mainly involved, but at the time he was working for the DARPA, the Defence Advanced Research Projects Authority in the American economy. Are you America- talking about Berners-Lee? Berners-Lee, yeah. yeah. Now, he, he was working for DARPA at the time. It was a DARPA-funded project. Yeah. And the idea behind it was they wanted to have a way of enabling communications to occur in the event of a nuclear strike. Now, if you have... If you have just very direct uh, trans, trans, uh, communication systems, then there's going to be one channel between Europe and America uh, and one bomb takes that out, and that's the end of communications. Yeah. They wanted to have the whole web. Uh, and that's the whole idea. Uh, rather than breaking a cable, you have a web. You can't. You have. To, you cannot stop the communications being shunted somewhere through the web. So that was the idea of the worldwide well, web. Well, if you
0: look actually, I mean, all around the world, there's examples of innovation which has really come out of the government sector rather than out of the private sector. In fact, you'd probably argue that most has. If you look at, so for example, Wi-Fi in Australia really came out of uh, out of the government, didn't it? If you look at uh, uh, space exploration, obviously that you know that started mm. in the in the government sector. In the in the UK. When we had British Rail, they were building and designing their own trains rather than just buying them from overseas. So the advanced passenger train, you know, the fastest, you know, Br- Britain was running trains uh, about the same speed it is now. It was doing it in the 1970s through innovation, which was all publicly funded. So most yeah. innovation, actually, I think, has come from the, from the, yeah, saying. and
1: the, 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 what I'd like to combine the arguments of both Mariana Mazzucato at one extreme and Bill Janeway at the other. Bill, by the way, being a similar economic background to um, Mariana because he was he did his PhD under Joan Robinson at Cambridge and as somebody who's, economics is anything, it's post-Keynesian. Uh, so Bill Janeway is a, was one of the entrepreneurs behind, fund, the venture capitalists behind the funding, I think, of Compaq. Uh, and he said that his argument is that innovation occurs uh You you get innovation out of the venture capital world because people have amounts, large amounts of money they can afford to lose. In other words, um, it's only people who can afford to lose large amounts of money who can finance major projects, major innovations. They can lose on nine, win on one, and become a billionaire out of that. But equally, the Mariana's point is exactly the same, and this is where it fits in with MMTP as well. The government can afford to lose money. Yeah. Now, uh, the private sector, if it, you it, it look just at, you know, look, they're looking at uh, private corporations, they can't afford to lose money for too long. They'll go bankrupt. Right. So, so uh, they can be invo-
0: They could be involved in this green deal. They could be involved in the implementation, perhaps. And let you know, The government focuses a lot more on research and, and then chunks out projects for Uh, for the the delivery aspects of it. But the government can only, of course, create money and follow the MMT approach if they are doing it in their own currency and they've got control over their sovereign currency. So it's okay in the UK, it's okay in Australia, it's okay in the United States. It's not okay in the EU uh, and in euro countries where they don't have control over their own currencies. And it's not okay... In smaller countries where they may have their own currency, but it's largely linked to the fluctuations in the US dollar, possibly even uh, pegged to the US dollar. So this can't apply everywhere. And yet the problem is obviously a global problem.
1: Yep, and then this is, I mean, again, I don't think we're going to get uh, international programs on this scale until it's seen as an existential problem. Uh, But yes, initially, if you have a country which is running a trade deficit and therefore needs to be uh, purchasing American dollars to get involved in trade, and the and the capital goods they're buying to decarbonize their industry also come from overseas, then they are going to be in a very dire way in trying to finance it just using the idea of running a government uh, government uh, a deficit, because um, with the with the, they're causing a current account if you a deficit as well for importing those foreign foreign capital goods, you're likely to face your uh, your currency losing value, and bang, you have a. A turkey situation on your yeah.
0: hands, and particularly if that country is, you know, rich in fossil fuel and they can just dig it, dig it up, and burn it.
1: Yeah, and this is like the the, the classic instance. There is actually Ecuador before the uh, current uh, Lenin Moreno government. But if you go back to under 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 Korea, um, there was an enormous oil resource discovered in the part of the Amazon Basin that's in Ecuador, and. Uh, Korea and his advisors wanted not to exploit it. They wanted to you know, leave it in the ground. But they said, to do that, we have to get a payment from the rest of the world to make up for the revenue we'd otherwise gain by exploiting that oil. Mm. And they, they, they tried. They, they, they campaigned for quite some time. And they finally gave it and said, we need the money. We're going to dig up the oil.
0: But the rest of the world could pay. If they can create the money, so how far can you extend this money creation? So, if if that in that example, if the United States had said, "Well, that's all right, we can just create more U.S. dollars. We're going to pay you in U.S. dollars. We'll just create it and pay it to you," what what would be the implications
1: of that? Well, this this is, again, I think it's feasible to do it through the U.S. dollar, but I think highly unlikely. I think this is the sort of thing where it isn't just a case of uh, bringing back the green, the bringing out the New Deal ideas from the nineteen thirties, It's bringing back the idea of the bank encore as well yeah. uh, and uh, so create and another whole, currency in effect create a currency which uh, and, and this was Keynes's idea uh, for the Bretton Woods was that the what became the International Monetary Fund would have been the international clearinghouse for the global currencies. Uh, everybody would be issued, every country would be issued uh, an invented currency called the Bancor in in proportion to the size of their economy. So, America would have got the largest allocation, obviously, to begin with. Uh, you'd have a fixed exchange rate between domestic currencies and the and the Bancor. If a country is running a trade deficit and would run out of bancor, then it would be forced to devalue. Yeah. Uh, but if a country is running a surplus and accumulating the bancor, two things would happen. One is they'd be taxed on on that increase, and and the second is the tax itself would be used to finance developing countries. So mm. in, in that sense, if you the surpluses we currently have, and like you know, Germany was running a ten percent of GDP, it's not anymore, uh, but China and Japan. Uh, running at that order of their GDP in terms of a trade surplus, that under that plan would generate uh, – that level of surplus would be counterproductive because you'd end up paying it in taxes to finance development in the rest of the world. But in this case, we could use that to finance Green New Deal work. So the bank course would be provided – the places like Bangladesh to install okay. carbon neutral. Right.
0: Well, let's take that. Uh, let's go through that step by step, so I fully understand. it. Let's use that example of Ecuador, and let's assume that we had the bank at that time. Mm-hmm. So Ecuador's there saying, "We've got all this stuff in the ground. We're going. We're going to start digging it up and burning it and polluting the planet, unless you can pay for us to invest in solar power plants." Mm-hmm. So the yeah. U.S. says, "Well, okay, we can create some money. We can create U.S. dollars." Well, we're going to convert that to bank or what? 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 Take us through step by well, step. It, how it's going?
1: Would, to it would actually it would it would actually have been something like International Monetary Fund, which uh, would be a. F- I mean, you know, IMF been a very destructive and negative uh, institution in the actual. Political world in which we have lived, because being controlled by neoclassical economists, they were convinced that uh, that you should run it, government should run a surplus, yeah. uh, that they should cut spending, etc. So it's been a destructive incident if, like- if, you,
0: if you're in debt, we'll make it even worse
1: for you because That's we'll right, give you the yeah. loan, but we're going to make sure that you. Uh- a lot of. A lot of Argentina's problems come out yeah. of a combination of, you know, a, a runaway right. problem followed but by. But you saying, IMF.
0: okay, but you're yeah. saying that they, in this
1: scenario, they in should play scenario, central. Yeah. In this scenario, they would have been, uh, there would have been money accumulating. At the, the, the first of all, the, the IMF uh, would have been had the capacity to create bank if it wanted to, if it was actually allowed to by its governing body. Uh, and secondly, it'd be accumulating bank out of the country's running trade surpluses. So those bancor would then be, and the specific purpose of the of the accumulation of bank or by taxing countries running surpluses was to finance third world development. So Keynes's idea was actually set up pretty much perfectly for what we want to do now. We want to, if we want to, uh, be able to finance countries like Ecuador rather than. Uh, uh, drilling up the oil uh, that's sitting there and they know it's sitting there leave it sitting there and instead use the Bancor to buy the technology necessary firstly to import solar cells and and wind and secondly to make their own domestic manufacturing capability that would have been part of the proposal under Kane so again and I I think to some extent if we're going if we do get to the point where we have to First of all, we realise we have to have an internationally coordinated approach. Uh, then it, we are going to be up going to something like that Bancor proposal, some ninety years after it was first put forward. But
0: you know, but that is sounding like world government, isn't it? Where you have a you've got a global currency and you've got a body that's determining how much of that currency is in circulation and which countries are the recipients of it. I yeah, mean, huge, afraid- hugely open to corruption, but it's also so far from our thinking. I mean, you know, there are people who are. You're very fearful of what you what you' what you're advocating here, which is it, it's almost like world government.
1: Yeah, I know, and this is the ironic thing. people a lot of people think it's all the conspiracy to lead towards uh, world government. No, it's a series of huge blunders that sort are of leading in that direction. that's that's my real my real concern. Uh, you're going to need to treat the planet as as one unit. At some point, and we've blundered our way there. It isn't a case of uh, you know all these climate scientists conspiring to create a, 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 a global government, although some of the nonsense I read on the conspiracy wing of Twitter is quite hilarious. Uh, knowing knowing the people they think are doing this conspiring and the lifestyles they lead and the attitudes they have to humanity in general they 're not doing this conspiring, but the politicians are blundering our way there because right. at some point uh, because if we if we really do realize this is the, the if the western nations uh, are the ones who first have the enormous crises that, that warn just how bad this is and no, I've got to change over dramatically at the same time you can't tell the third world you've got to stay at a, at a below the poverty line level of living for most of your people because otherwise the planet will die well that's not going to go down politically effectively you've got to think says okay if we're going to if we're not going to use um uh, uh, carbon-based energy sources to catch up with you we have to use others and you're going to have to pay for it and that will be That that's when the world government stuff will stop turning up,
0: right? But one step at a time. I mean, if the response to the extinction rebellion movement right now is that governments Mm -hmm. were to say, do you know what? We've got an answer to this, which might actually be there's this thing called modern monetary theory, which tells us that we can actually basically run uh, the the government's budget. Uh, in deficit, um, and you know we've done it before. I mean, Randall Gray points to the fact that we had uh, during World War Two we had a twenty five percent budget deficit. We didn't have inflation, so we, you know, we've got the precedent that we can run a fairly hefty deficit before we have to worry about. It. Deflation, so inflation I say. so let's so let's do that the uh the the extinction rebellion say this is great the government says marvelous we're going to have a plan let's put a plan into place uh then that's all perceivable in a decade perhaps the idea that we then say but we can only do this in these countries uh, and we want to extend it. To do that, we've actually got to create a global currency and then we've got to have a, a governing body, which is basically going to determine how that currency is created and where it's spent. That's perhaps a step too far. I'm just wondering whether there's a way we can get from individual countries being involved in this to actually having more of a global footprint. And by the way, before you answer that, the one place we've got to overcome as well is countries like Australia which uh, would lose a mass of fossil fuel revenue. It's clinging on to high heaven because, Mm -hmm. of course, it's getting foreign earnings from fossil fuel. So even if you were to say, well, the government create money so uh, so we can make the world a greener place, they're going to say, well, that's good. We can create our own money, but we're not getting any foreign money coming in because we're not selling fossil fuel anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no way this is going to be a peaceful process. I mean, uh, there's going to be conflict galore. And the trouble is, in the meantime, until such time as you realise that it actually is an existential threat, uh, the, the perception of I'm going to lose out of this is going to dominate anything. And, of course, they, we, we know how, you and I both know how trivial the Australian debate is on, on climate change. You know, they're saying we're only 1.5% of the world's, uh, the world's climate emissions. Why should we do anything? Um, I saw a great analogy in saying, if you're the first person to see the canoes heading over the waterfall, do you sit there and wait until the biggest guy starts rowing? Uh, No, you row like bloody hell to slow the canoe down. Uh, But that's not how Australia's thinking. Of course, they still think, you know, there's no waterfall. We can keep on going indefinitely. And there will be massive campaigning against this. uh, And we we can see with the reaction to Extinction Rebellion uh, just how powerful that reaction can be until such time as it's seen as an existential threat
0: yeah ironically i mean the uk even though it's not perfect is doing a lot more than countries like australia isn't it? i mean we are actually in the uk closing down all our coal fire <clears> power <throat> stations in the next few years uh whereas Australia's even looking at replacing them uh, yeah. with more coal fire power stations which uh, makes no sense whatsoever but i mean yeah. is it i mean but if i'm but without sort of resorting to war or conflict how do you change a country like australia if, if 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 the australian government accepted the modern monetary thinking and realized that they could run uh at a at a uh, deficit and bought the idea that uh, climate change is happening which is you know not everyone in the australian government is convinced of uh, and they wanted to do things they i'm just wondering how the how they save the economy in the process i, I mean i, I guess
1: i don't they not, don't. This is the problem. I mean, there's actually... just Because just they recently, need those
0: foreign earnings because they, they're not and, exporting
1: anything. And because the industrial base of the country has been destroyed under economic policy in the last 30 years. So the, the most recent issue of the Atlas of Economic Complexity has just come out. I haven't personally read it yet. Of course, I will. Um, but... The, the, in, in that uh, uh, document, Australia's complexity level has fallen by 23 points compared to other countries. Mm. And I think now down to just below the level of complexity in terms of its exports of Senegal, I think that just looking at exports alone under states uh, confuses the issue. It's not as bad as it looks under exports alone. But Australia, if you couldn't export the, the, iron, the, the, iron, and, uh, the iron ore and coal and, and uh, aluminium and so on... There's not much else they can export, because they haven't got the industrial base. Right. So that country is going to realise it's much poorer than it thinks it is. And but it, that's not but it could well.
0: rebuild that industrial base. And if we're talking about, you know, a, a, such a major transformation, we're talking about building stuff that we don't have now and we want it to become smarter and more energy efficient, then there's going to be componentry and intellectual investment that needs to happen that can happen in places like Australia if they just oh, pull the um, finger out and get on with it uh, no, to export but-
1: to the rest of the world. No, you've got to import the knowledge. I mean, um, there's. I mean, I've mean, i seen some talk within the Liberal Party in Australia about building a nuclear power station. We haven't got the engineers. We haven't got the physicists. We did have them in the yeah. 1950s. Nice
0: place to live, though. You, you just offer them, you know, decent housing and a place and on the beach and they will flock there.
1: To some extent that's true, but you've still got to finance that. So if, if, if you run down your capability, you have to import a large Part of those capabilities, and then you're caught back in the same old line. Now, we you're your going to exports- pay them
0: in Australian dollars with money that
1: you've created. Uh, not when you've got to buy the buy the goods to bring. The, you, you bringing the engineers is one thing, bringing the 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 high the, the 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 machine tools, the uh, the industrial equipment is a entirely different thing. And initially, if you don't have the capability to make it locally, you're going to have to import it and mm-hmm. maybe pull it apart and work we'll out how to make it yourselves, which is what the Chinese did, very successfully. But uh, initially, you're going to have to take a huge hit to your standard of living, and the attitude to that is going to be resistance. And the only way you're going to stop them exporting is by not not by the by them voluntarily deciding not to mine the coal and so on. It's by countries refusing to buy it.
0: Right but if you look at if you look at how information technology has developed I mean we have people you know all over the world involved in the the process involved in, in making a computer or you know other forms of technology which have a microprocessor sitting at the bottom of it um we've got people building those microprocessors we've got people building the components the elements of those microprocessors we've got people building the machines that those microprocessors are put into um, and they're not all in the same country there's there's a, a degree of uh specialization which is happening here and couldn't the same thing be happening in the green industry so we might say we might say well okay it's australia can invest in uh building widget a which isn't needed now but will be and it requires some investment in uh in, in machinery but most of it is intellectual property and we're a smart country and we can entice people here and we're going to become the widget a manufacturers for the world
1: well, that's actually, pardon, pardon me, it's not like an Australian session to most of the listeners, but uh, on, on that particular point, Australia was actually the place where uh, what's called a Murphis uh, uh, silicon. Uh, photovoltaic cells were first developed by a guy called Martin Green at the University of New South Wales. Uh, he tried to build a local domestic industry for producing solar cells, got no uh, no uh, support whatsoever. His leading PhD student went back to China, and guess where? Guess who was the major person establishing the Chinese solarvoltaic industry? So... Mm. Uh, And now, of course, what that means is China's got the technology for building photovoltaics. It it, it, that could be transferred, that could be created rather more rapidly in Australia than anything else because of Martin 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 Green's work and and a a moderate infrastructure there for solar. But if you're talking things like, for example, inventing thorium reactors, I'm going to happen to know a couple of researchers in thorium reactors in Australia as well. But the the technology involved in in building that uh, is far more developed in countries like Germany, like France. Uh, uh, than it is in Australia. So you'd need to import the stuff. So, again, you're going to be, uh, you know, the attitude is going to be, we, we, you have a double whammy. First of all, you're not able to make your exports. Secondly, you can't afford the imports. So some countries are going to have to suffer in terms of overall income and one of them is definitely going to be Australia.
0: But it could could be overcome. I mean, it's it's not an insurmountable because they are, you know, a country that can adopt MMT approaches. It can create its own money. The issue is, this, this, this is, the issue is foreign going? money.
1: This is one point where I think you know I differ with MMT. I disagree over the attitude they have on foreign trade. They're, I think their attitude on government money money creation, uh, fine, financial in general, is completely accurate accurate, and, and based on an incontrovertible logic. The argument they have about uh, foreign trade, I think, is based on a farce the idea that exports are a cost and imports are a benefit. A totally different idea uh, injected into MMT. Uh, I, I think countries running a trade deficit end up being in a very bad way. Uh, and particularly if you saw a, a country which whose exports were cut off, so Australia could no longer export, particularly coal, uh, and then and then had to then create its own domestic industrial base to create uh, the, the low carbon te- technology. In energy generation technology uh, they're going to have a double whammy and they won't be able to but do unless it.
0: they're creating something which they export though if they're creating an alternative if there's and, and if there's if there's demand there because you mean countries flying, like you mean flying, countries,
1: marsupial, flying marsupial pigs
0: <laughs> or, or the or the technology that sits behind flying marsupial pigs I mean if they if the us is saying well okay we're going to increase our uh, GDP, you know five percent of our GDP is now going to be money which is being spent on this on this green new deal in the UK and other uh, MMT-capable countries are doing the same thing. And we've got this big expansion in this sector. Uh, and so there's a market there. And so there's an opportunity, and, and Australia can invest in that opportunity because it too can create money to invest in in you know, industries. So if if, if it's so, your point is yes, but they're going to need to import stuff, and they're going to need to pay uh, in in foreign currencies to import uh, that stuff. Is it going to be worthwhile? And my point is, well, it's at, at some point it will be, isn't it?
1: Well, this this is where the Atlas of Economic Complexity again is a very useful resort to say just how realistic is that? You know, we can all we can we can lift ourselves up by burn bootstraps. Right. You have you have to have the industrial network yeah. to be able to build on in the very first instance. So, you know, you, you, uh, you, you need the capacity to produce particular types of steel. You need uh, particular uh, processing of, of, of trace minerals. You, you need the uh, you know, microprocessor creating capabilities as well. Uh, if they don't exist... Then you're, you're you're behind an import barrier. You've got to import that stuff to begin with. And when you look at the level of complexity, again back to the Australian point, uh, the the level of the complexity of the what the economy can produce for export, as shown by that atlas, is about the same level of Senegal. So it's got a <laughs> long, long way to exactly. go before. It, yeah. yeah. So so it's it's so this this this. Yeah, um, the, the point, first taken,
0: point taken. So they said so yeah. the, the one place that does have that complexity but is held back because it doesn't have the sovereignty of its currency is Europe, isn't it? And Europe, the, yeah. And yeah. then this becomes a huge opportunity, in fact, for uh, for Europe to say, well, okay, the euro does need to be a sovereign currency. This becomes an argument which, of course, the, the Brits are against, which is why they're trying to get, even though they're not part of the euro, uh, but it's a more… Uh, integrated europe this becomes the an argument for europe to say well okay it's not only the european central bank we also need a government now as well which is going to control spending across the whole of the the, the euro zone, so that in effect the euro is seen as a sovereign currency so we can create it so we can then start to pump more money it's so far away from current eu thinking all of this but if they were to shift their thinking then this is an opportunity isn't it because they have all of those resources they have that complexity that mix of industries and yeah. they, have a, they have a they're have they in an environment where i think there is an acceptance from the population at large that climate change is something that needs to be tackled so if they get it right a huge opportunity for the for the euro but the that means uh, losing sovereignty for for basically 26 or 27 european
1: nations well, they've already given it up. I have it in the air. In the in first. first place, yeah. It, it means exercising that sovereignty, at the and what that requires is a drastic in, erratic increase in the scale of the European government. Yeah. And, of course, this comes back to people's thing at all as being a deliberate conspiracy. Now I think we're blundering towards that situation. But is that a bad thing necessarily? So ten minutes ago we were talking about a world,
0: a world government, and uh, how there was going to be mistrust of that situation. But maybe the EU becomes the stepping stone to that, in that the EU could actually, uh, if it did have more centralised control and more sovereignty was given away, then you have a body, whether it's uh, whether it's the EU or it's the central bank, but somebody is saying, well, okay, we're going to issue, uh, we're all going to run into into fiscal debt now. We're going to create uh, uh, more money so governments can spend, um, but we have to control that somehow. So we're going to use the uh, the knowledge that exists in, in in Germany and the industry that exists in Germany. But we are going to put some of this development for green industries in Greece because that's where money and investment and jobs are needed. And we're going to do the same in Spain, and we're mm. going, you know, and, and they start to develop a all of Europe approach and. A lot to say, that you know, it's a lot of benefit from that approach, even though it's a, you know, counterintuitive for, for most people who'd see this as centralized meddling.
1: Yeah, well, and again, if you look back at the Great Depression, as we were talking in the last podcast about the Great Depression and the impact of government spending then, uh, between the Great Depression and the Second World War, the scale of government spending as a percentage of GDP rose by a factor of four to six. For most countries around the world, so he went from the government being maybe five percent of spending to thirty percent of spending, and that's what we've taken as normal ever since. And if you tried to propose, let's go from five percent of spending to thirty percent of spending in the nineteen twenties, you would have been shot out of the out of the stadium. Um, so. The, the The circumstances the actual existential circumstances at the time can mean that what is unthinkable then becomes uh, just happens, and then after it 's happened it 's the real world you 're no longer complaining about an existential change you 've made the existential change, so that is a feasible thing to happen, like particularly France is extremely advanced in nuclear. nuclear stations it's got it's got one of the it's doing some of the work in fusion technology Um, I'm hoping there's work being done there and thorium is what I think is more likely to, to work but you'd want to have some combinations of German and French engineering coming together you wouldn't see it necessarily as being feasible just in one country on its own, so you you do need that pan-European attitude, but that would flip the euro, euro from being a austerity controlling system to a a, a, a stimulus and infrastructure control, a building system, and that'll be interpreted as you know, a deliberate conspiracy. This is always Schäuble's plan. Anything but. It's the accidental outcome of the of the. Uh, Ignoring the uh, the climate until the threat is too great.
0: Well, the system's there. It's just the people and the attitudes have got to change. And you look at the outgoing uh, governor of the European Central Bank. He's been talking about modern monetary theory. He's this is what about-
1: I. This is one of the things I find this incredibly an- annoying because the classic statement is very hard to get somebody to understand something when they're so dependent on not understanding it. I've spoken to a uh, Vitor since Consent. Constanza, who's one of the ex-members of the, the board, um, Draghi I haven't spoken to, but uh, I've noticed in both cases, Constanza, though he was a bit flexible, was still defending the whole Maastricht Treaty focus on controlling government spending and so on. Uh, when he leaves, bang, he starts saying we should, uh, we should abolish effectively abolish the Maastricht Treaty, which I completely agree with. Mm. You have people in positions of power who are constrained by those positions of power to not say what they know is necessary until they resign, retire. The thing is they're replaced by somebody else who continues the same situation. Uh, the only thing I can say in favour of it, the, the, I think the breaking point is improving because of is coming out and saying we've got to have, you know, fiscal, we have to have fiscal stimulus now. Uh, the monetary system hasn't worked. Uh, then there's some potential for the incoming replacement, though that is, of course, Lagarde, uh, to say, well, let's start doing, uh, turn from being a, a control on government spending to reduce it to a, a control on government spending to increase it. Uh, but, you know, then they've got to change the Maastricht Treaty. So the mm. the, the the forest of things are put in our way of responding s- Sensibly and rapidly to this, it just it's ridiculous how big the forest is. But we
0: are but not insurmountable. Imagine – I'm trying to be optimistic behind all of this because I ah, feel
1: because yeah, yeah.
0: maybe the tiger having a problem. Yeah. Maybe the tiger exactly you don't you don't recognise me. Who is this man I'm talking to? And what have you done with Phil Dobby? <laughs> uh, but the um the um the, you know the opportunity if 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 modern monetary theory is accepted, say over the next decade, and the United States, which are Overspending, anyway, but you had another—you uh, had another leader in there who, who actually recognised that climate change was an issue. So, use government debt for 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 good rather than for evil, for saving the planet rather than uh, lining the pockets of the wealthy. And you had Europe taking a more centralised approach and expansionary rather than uh, uh, disciplining people who overspent. And you had the UK uh, on board too. And then you have, of course, obviously, countries like China. Which are definitely creating their own currency to to invest. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and are you know moving in this direction, so we're told. India presumably could be doing could be doing the same thing. You've got a large chunk of the world covered in the you know you could have a uh, an approach that's recently taken by all the major players, and then surely for some of them to say, well, okay, we can also you know therefore spend money in uh, in in smaller countries as well to to invest in infrastructure using our own currency again it's it's not going to be a, a big issue because it's going to be small fry compared to the amount of money they're spending in their, in their own countries we could have a coordinated approach on a world scale couldn't we
1: yeah we could I and mean, i think uh, i think we, we potentially might will start moving in that direction over the next 10 years because the political pressure that extinction rebellion is manifesting is is, is a sign of a shift in attitudes uh you know in in favor ultimately of uh of, of doing work to reduce the level of carbon in the economy uh, much more rapidly than economists have been arguing is necessary and much more rapidly than countries country haven't been doing they they're going in the opposite direction. So it is a potential to, to, to push it through. Um, it's it, it, I think it will set the ground stages for what's necessary. It won't be in itself sufficient because, mm. again, the scale of what's necessary is is enormous and also I think the, the there's no way that we can go forward without reducing the size of the economy globally. Yeah, and I think that's inevitably going to happen, uh, and and it it, it will, will be will be fighting tooth and nail to prevent it, uh, so it won't happen in anything like a peaceful fashion. But uh, this this to me is the be- the beginning of a process, and certainly MMT uh, will get. Um, a guernsey as the way that this can all be financed and
0: i wonder whether just a final point then whether europe is actually where the, all of this is going to start because there's uh, for two reasons one is europe has the issue that it's got some very wealthy nations and some countries that are struggling and so mmt thinking applied there could actually say well okay maybe greece is you know maybe greece doesn't need to pay back that debt maybe we should be creating money and spending it there that's point one. And, you know, that, that realisation is certainly going to shift thinking. But secondly, I think out of anywhere in the world, if you're looking at countries where there are more concerned citizens about the environment, it's not Australia, is it? It's not the United States. It's in Europe.
1: And it's also China. And China. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those are the countries where you're likely to see dramatic. Well, China because they're
0: having difficulty breathing. But, I mean, Europe's during yeah. that conclusion, even without that day to day problem.
1: Yeah, that, that combination means you're less likely to see the innovation taking place in Europe and China rather than taking place in America or that backwater in the, in the southern Pacific called Australia. Yeah,
0: well, there we are. There's a, a thought for investors about where to put their money in this new technology. Good to talk, Steve. Uh, Good, mate want we'll to catch you again soon. Thanks. Okay. If this is the way forward, I wonder how long it is going to take for the world's politicians and economists to catch on to it. That's it for this week. Another debunking economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen next week. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening.